we are right in the middle of Hallmark movie season. I don't know if you knew that or not. I read this week there are a whopping 42 new Hallmark holiday movies this year. 42. Uh, and that doesn't count the Hallmark adjacent movies, which are low budget, uh, made for TV movies that Netflix and Amazon and all the other places are putting out too. Uh, this is a nine disc box set of past ones. I don't know how many, uh, movies are on there. Uh, a whole bunch. Um, now we, we all know, I think we all know that those 42 movies are really just one movie 42 times, right? We know that, right? Um, Someone, a good-looking guy or girl in their 20s, works a great job in the big city, is engaged to this great person, but they're sent to a small, quaint, Christmassy town during the Christmas season to do something kind of grinchy, right? Shut down the factory or put the mom-and-pop business out of, out of, uh, out of business um, or shut down the inn. Or something like that, right? And, and along the way, that person uh, meets an even better looking person in that small town. There's some chemistry, but there's that pesky engagement back there that we, there's, there's some tension going on. We don't know what's going to happen. Oh, we kind of do because we've seen them before. Uh, the, the person, that, that uh, person who has come from the city to the country uh, uh, meets this other person. The other person is closely tied with the uh, with the 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 company that's they're going to be shut down, or you know, it's all this big, and there's tension and turmoil and strife. Along the way, there are many Christmassy activities in these movies. I have have considered for several years now publishing. I think I could make a lot of money publishing a checklist. Because, uh, and, and then actually I googled online, uh, there are some checklists that already exist, so I think I'm behind the times. Uh, things that, that happen in virtually every one of these movies, and you can just check them off as they go. Uh, there's a Christmas tree lighting somewhere, and it's the, the biggest event that the town has ever seen in the history of the town. Every year, everyone loves that someone can flip a switch and the lights come on. Christmas tree. Uh, usually getting a tree is an event that happens, and many times it's at a Christmas tree lot. Um, but every once in a while it's, it's out in the, in the country and they go cut down a tree and drag it home. There is family Christmas tree decorating. There's hot cocoa. I, usually someone has an award-winning recipe for hot cocoa. It's a big deal to drink hot chocolate in these movies. I'm not sure why. Uh, there, there's usually some type of awkward scene under the mistletoe. Uh, there is, there is some kind of contest many times featuring either ugly sweaters or making snowmen or making gingerbread houses or all of the above at some point in the movie, right? And, uh, there's Christmas caroling and a lot of times those, uh, those folks that are caroling are dressed in the old English costumes, right? With the big tails and the hat and, and it, it, it at some point it's going to snow. Uh, usually at the end, many times, even though they're in Nashville or Miami or somewhere, uh, it's, it's going to snow, it's a Christmas miracle, and it's amazing. And, and after some, some uh, miscommunication and hurt feelings, the, the, the guy or girl that came from the big city to the country life uh, ditches their fiancé, moves to the small town, marries their new sweetheart, changes careers from high-powered executive to small-town candle maker or whatever it is that they... And, and it's so heartwarming, and it feels so good, and it's amazing. Christmas finally has come, 42 times. And it's also so not how love and life actually work in reality. 
I'm not saying that it's wrong to watch Hallmark movies, but we need to know that they are, uh, maybe I'm breaking this to you, I don't know, they are completely made up. It doesn't happen that way, right? The biggest thing that they get wrong, besides the fact that no one ever in the history of the world has ever had a snowman-making competition in December at Christmas time, uh, besides that, the, the biggest thing they get wrong is that love is a feeling that you fall into, and I should always follow my feelings because the best thing in life is that I deserve to be happy. It's not real love. That's not how it works. And it, uh, Psalm 85, our text for today, will, will help us, I think, get things in proper perspective. This is the second week of Advent. Love is our theme, as you've already seen on display today. I think you'll see that, that, that the love portrayed here in Psalm 85 is, is a little different than, than what I've just described in these made for TV movies. Although there may be some correlations, I mean, in, like any good Hallmark movie, uh, the, although there's no mistletoe in Psalm 85, there is kissing. We're, we're gonna, we're gonna get some kissing today. I, uh, maybe I've piqued your interest. I don't know. Psalm 85 was was written after the Hebrew people had returned from exile. God had done in part what they had been crying out for him to do in Psalm 80 that we looked at last week. Um, he had restored them back to their land. He had established them once again as a nation, but they were still in need. And so uh, Psalm 85, we'll, we'll, we'll read the whole psalm starting in verse 1. You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord says, he promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. There's, there's a lot going on here. Actually, I, I think we could treat this psalm a little bit like a Hallmark movie because I think we can, we can use the, the outline and the themes that are included in this psalm to, uh, to inform our own prayer lives. I think we can, we can maybe do this over and over again. Some of the themes that we see throughout Psalm 85 could actually be, uh, some of the things that we, uh, could, could be praying for over and over and over again. Uh, the first thing that, that, that we see here in Psalm 85 that I think we need to be incorporating into our lives is, is gratitude. Uh, an attitude of, of God, you did it. Psalm 85 begins with gratitude. The people are declaring here that, that God showed up and he did what they needed him to do. In this case, we see some direct answers to the desperation from Psalm 80 from last week. The, in Psalm 80, they kept singing repeatedly, restore us, turn toward us, uh, show your face and your favor to us. And now this says, you did it. God, you brought us back. You established us again. You, you restored us. You forgave us. Um, and, and so they're, they're expressing their gratitude. Gratitude is an important thing 
to express. But not everyone, not everyone is always grateful. There's a story of a grandmother who had taken her grandson to the beach. She's watching from the sand as he's playing and splashing at the edge of the water. And all of a sudden, a huge wave comes up and crashes directly over her grandson. And, and as the water recedes, the boy is gone. He'd been, he'd been washed away. And immediately, the grandmother looked to heaven and, and shook her fist to the sky and, and, and cried and screamed and said, Lord, how could you? We, I've I followed you all my days. I've been a wonderful mother and a, a wonderful grandmother. I've been faithful to you. How Have I not lived a life that you would be proud of? Bring this boy back. And a minute later, another huge wave swept up on the shore. And as it receded, the boy was back and splashing in the water just as if nothing had happened. And then a loud voice from heaven booms and says, Okay, I have returned your grandson. Are you satisfied? And the grandmother said, he had a hat. I get a kick out of that, even if you don't. Um, gratitude. She wasn't great. She wasn't grateful for the, uh, for the huge gift that she had gotten, but simply looking for what was missing. And maybe we tend to do that sometimes. Gratitude is an important trait to develop in our lives and, and, and we need to express it. Maybe we're grateful on the inside, but, it, but it's, it's inherent in the phrase, right? We need to give thanks. We, we're expressing our gratitude. We're, it's something that we give. We, we need to uh, express it, especially to God. Our, our spiritual lives suffer when we fail to give thanks. Romans 121 uh, says as much, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. Because of that, uh, they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And the result was that their minds became dark and confused. When we don't rehearse what God has done and thank him for it, we will soon fall away in our relationship with him. We get, uh, this verse says, we get foolish ideas about God and, and things get turned all, all upside down. As we read Psalm 85, we're reminded to be grateful. Are, are you grateful? Do you thank God regularly? When was your last, God, you did it, prayer? And, and it's not just something that should be restricted to our own private prayer lives. This psalm is a, is a corporate worship song. Uh, they were rehearsing together with their fellow believers what God had done. So, so do you brag on God to other people? Do you testify about what he has done, uh, about what you're grateful for? Are you, are you loud and proud declaring God did it? Gratitude has to be a big part of our spiritual experience with God. And Psalm 85 reminds us of that. The next part of the Psalm is, uh, is a cry out for revival. It's, uh, it's a confession. It's, it's God, I'm sorry. It recognizes the, and, and really owns the, the sins that the people have committed. Uh, Again, last week, they, it was a little different. They were blaming God for the sins they had committed. Uh, right here, they're saying, we need your forgiveness. Again, we've sinned. Again, uh, we need to be restored. Again, verse 6 specifically calls out for revival. Revive us again. To revive means to bring back to life, right? So, so what type of thing needs to be revived? Something that is dead, Right? Uh, so the Bible tells us in Romans that we've all sinned and that the wages of sin, what, what we've earned from sinning, the consequence of that is death. 
several times in scripture, uh, describes a person's spiritual state before coming to God as being dead in our sins. Spiritual revival is a return to spiritual health after a period of sin, darkness, or apathy. It's, it's the restoration of a person or a church or a community back to right relationship with God. Over the years, I've, I, I've heard people calling for the church to, to pray for God, to, to revive their city or, or to revive their community or to revive their country, to bring revival. And, and they call out to God for it. And it's a great thing to do. We need to be doing that. I just wonder though, if sometimes we get the cart before the horse, because revival doesn't start out there with those folks. It starts right here with me. It starts with you inside of us. It's, it's personal. I think it's much easier to pray for God to go revive the heathen culture around us, right? Than to admit that we need revival in our own hearts. We need God to revive us. A key part of our, of our prayer life has to be to ask God to breathe his life into our hearts, fresh and new. My favorite Christmas poems, and I'm not much of a poem guy, so maybe it's the only Christmas poem that I, uh, that I really resonate with. I don't know, but, uh, and I've read it here before, um, but I, I couldn't get past it this week, and it's, it's called Let the Stable Still Astonish by Leslie Leland Fields. I think it helps emphasize this desire for revival that we have to be seeking. It says, let the stable still astonish. Straw, dirt floor, dull eyes, dusty flanks of donkeys, oxen, crumbling crooked walls, no bed to carry that pain. And then the child, rag wrapped, laid to cry in a trough. Who would have chosen this? Who would have said, yes, let the God of all the heavens and earth be born here in this place? Who but the same God who stands in the darker, fouler rooms of our hearts and says, yes, let the God of heaven and earth be born here in this place. The darker, fouler rooms of our hearts need to be revived. We need Jesus to keep bringing his life into our lives. It's, it's not just a, a one-time shot of revival and then we're good. Uh, Psalm 85 says, revive us again. Uh, it's it's a, a continual a revival. God, we keep doing it again. God, you did it. Do it again. <laughs> Do it again. Keep revive. We must always, we must be praying for God to keep on doing what only he can do to revive our hearts and lives, not just at Christmas, but all the time. Do you have a habit of, of confession, of telling God you're sorry, of admitting the, uh, the, the, the shortcomings and, and, and sins in your life? Are you, are you praying for revival? Are you calling out for the God of heaven and earth to be born here in this place, in your heart? Psalm 85 encourages us to do that. The last half of Psalm 85 is, uh, 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 makes a turn toward worship and, and really, uh, declares, uh, some characteristics of God. And, and, uh, we do well in our prayer life to, to include uh, a lot of time and effort in God, you are. And we're just continuing to, to declare who God is. And it really zeroes in on this, this one main characteristic of who God is, our theme for the day, which is his love. 
Verse 7 uses the term steadfast love, which is the, the way that, that most English translations usually translate a certain type of love in the Hebrew. Uh, it's a hesed love. This is, that's, that's the Hebrew term. It's not the kind of love that you can watch in 42 movies on the Hallmark Channel this year. The, the love in, in those movies and the love most on display in our culture is, is short term and it's rooted in our feelings, right? In, in those movies, the, the main character doesn't feel it anymore with her fiance and so she moves on to the good looking guy who somehow makes a living at the family candle making business in the middle of the Sierra Nevadas. We're not sure why or how. I guess I'm not supposed to look at it from a business standpoint. That's another thing. She's, she turns away from this love, this commitment that she's made to this person because she's not feeling it anymore. And so uh, she, this love is based on feelings. It's based on what makes her happy. And so she's going to change. Hesed love is, is completely different because it, it comes from a completely different place. It doesn't come from our feelings. It's rooted in commitment. Hesed love involves sacrifice based on a promise or a commitment. As one author puts it, Hesit love is love without an exit strategy. Dan Boone, the author of our Advent uh, devotional book, defines Hesed love this way. He says it's the behavior that one person has the right to expect of the other in light of the promises that were made. So, so you made this promise, so I'm expecting that you're going to act on that promise and you're going to act in this way because you made this promise of, of love and so I'm expecting you to act on it. I guess what I'm saying is that I feel for the snubbed fiancé in these movies, right? Uh, that that person committed, they were engaged and now they're not living up to what, what they promised. Just a few, uh, few days ago, a small group of us gathered right, right here in this sanctuary and we celebrated the, the legally binding marriage of Ryan and Sophie, right? This was their second wedding and won't be their last. And that's a whole big story. And I don't have time for it today. Talk to them. I'm sure they'll fill you in. But for now, let me just say that, that vows and commitments were made. Ryan and Sophie, I'm sure, are still in the honeymoon phase. And everything feels great, right? Well, don't answer that. No. Uh, but we, we call marriage a covenant for a reason, right? Two people are promising to remain committed to each other, to... Well, they, they said it uh, just the other day, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, uh, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death us do part. I think that anyone who is married can tell you that not all of that feels good all the time. We're not exactly necessarily always happy about it, right? We don't, it doesn't feel, but love in marriage, if it's going to last, has to be a hesed kind of love, a love that is rooted in sacrificial commitment. I'm living out my commitment to you, even if I'm not always feeling it. That's God's love for us. The, the worship leaders who wrote this psalm knew all about it. They were desperate to continue to experience God's hesed love. In verse 10, some more of, of God's characteristics are mentioned. His faithfulness and his righteousness and his peace. And, and all of those are linked to his hesed, steadfast love. Um, this psalm even personifies them, says that these character qualities are kissing. They're, they're connected. They're, uh, they're involved together. God's love is faithful. His righteousness and his peace are on display in his hesed love. Our prayers and our worship should declare who God is. 
just as much, maybe more than what he has done. So we pray those, thanks God, you did it. That's amazing, that's incredible. God, please revive me. Please continue to uh, to forgive me. I'm sorry. But then we also continue to declare our worship of who God is. I hope that you notice that in the songs that we sing here. We sing about what God has done, but um, most of the songs make uh, statements about who God is. We try to avoid the Jesus is my boyfriend songs, right? I, I hope I hope you notice so we don't do the Jesus is my boyfriend. You know, the ones where you're not quite sure if you're listening to it on uh, nine, five, uh, 95 the fish or the lake, right? You're not quite, because it could fit, you change the name from Jesus to Carl and it's, you know, it's, it's the same song. All you do, have to do is change the name, right? Because Jesus is, uh, we try to avoid those because we're not, we're not loving God and he's not loving us in the same way like that. We want to proclaim who God is and we want to proclaim that his love is so much deeper than a feeling. He, he has committed himself to us. He has made promises and he is faithful and he is righteous to live out those commitments. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. That faithful love is what Psalm 85 is declaring, the steadfast love of God that's not based on whether we're feeling it or not, but based on the fact that God has promised to love us. There's an awesome byproduct of that love uh, that, that's mentioned here, and that is peace. Verse 9 and 10 say that love, faithfulness, righteousness, and peace are all connected together. In... um in dating relationships in my teen year, my wife left so I can talk about this. Um, I, uh, oh, but my daughter's still in here. Sorry. Um, I'm, I know there were times when I got jealous in some of the dating relationships that I had over the years. Probably a couple of times it was warranted. Most of the time it was due to my own insecurity and the fact that the relationship was a teenage relationship and wasn't based on covenant. It was based on feelings, right? But living in a committed, loving relationship for 31 and a half years now, I can testify that there is a deep and abiding confidence and peace that has settled over my relationship with my wife. There is no wondering. There is no wandering. There is a deep love based on our commitment and faithfulness to each other. And that's just a, just a glimpse of God's love for each and every one of us. It's Hesed love. It's based on commitment and his covenant with humanity. It's, it's, it's not just what God does, it's who God is. He is faithful, he is righteous, and he is steadfast love. And it's vitally important that we grasp that because that means that we can know Without any doubt, we can know that we are loved. If God is love, then you are loved. God does not love us based on who we are or how good we are. God's love is based in who he is 
and his covenant with humanity, not how we perform. So because God's God loves us steadfastly with his hesed love, I can know that I am loved. There is nothing I can do to make God love me more or less. His love is steadfast and true. And you say, preacher, give me some proof. And I'd say, look at Jesus. Spend a little time this Advent season dwelling on just how steadfast and faithful and sacrificial God's love must be to send his son as a baby to this world in order to show us his love. Romans 5.8 tells us that Jesus demonstrates God's love. God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus stepping out of heaven and making his dwelling among us is the ultimate example of his hesed love. It's not an emotion, it's his commitment. You are loved. I don't, I don't care how many Hallmark movies you watch this month, go ahead. Just don't invite me. And just know that that's not what Christmas is all about. The Advent season is a time for gratitude. I hope you take time, have taken time, and will continue to take time to, to pray, God, you did it, prayers, and thank him for what he has done. Advent is also a time for confession and a cry out for revival. God, I'm sorry. God, build your life in me. Most of all, I think, Advent is a time to reflect on who God is, especially his sacrificial, steadfast, faithful love. You are loved. And that truth is at the heart of the Christmas story. Dear God, we, we thank you today. Each one of us has uh, areas of our life where we can proclaim, God, you did it. Thank you so much. Keep our eyes focused on, on those things and how you're moving and working. Lord, we pray and we ask that you would revive us again, that you would bring your life to us, that even in this Advent season, that you would uh, birth your life in us again, that you would, you would uh, uh, revive us and bring your life to us. Forgive us for anything that may be hindering your work in our lives. And Lord, we proclaim that you are love, and so we are loved. I pray that we can live as loved people, that we can live knowing that the God of the universe loves us with an everlasting, eternal, steadfast love. I pray, Lord, that as we go from here, that it will be evident and obvious to the people around us, the God that we serve, the God that we love, because you have first loved us. We commit ourselves fresh and new to you today, and we pray that you will continue to move and work in our lives throughout the rest of this Advent season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.